Every so often we get an email uh, in the inbox that just leaves me dumbstruck. Um, usually such a question comes with not only a pointed question to it, but with, a, with real life hurt and pain behind it uh, from a listener that's seeking genuine answers to, uh, to, to alleviate core identity struggles in their lives, like the email I'm about to read today. It comes to us from a listener named Elizabeth. Here it is. Pastor John, I was conceived using the sperm of an anonymous donor. My parents, who are believers, wanted a a child very badly, but my father was infertile, so they chose to purchase sperm from a fertility clinic. My biological donor father was paid to give his sperm to the clinic. My parents chose not to tell me about the conception until after I was married, and when I was told, I was shocked and hurt and struggled to find my identity for years. I rest in the thought that God is my father, and I am always drawn to scriptures and songs about God as father to help settle my confused heart. At least 60,000 children are born through donor conception every year in the United States, so I know this is impacting local churches, though it's rarely discussed. Reproductive technology is moving fast, and couples can choose to purchase sperm or eggs from a more fertile person or use the embryos left over from others who made more embryos than they wanted. My questions to you are twofold. Number one, does God desire some couples to remain childless to the point that using the sperm or eggs of a third person is resistance to his will? And number two, do you have any scripture grace for those of us who are the product of reproductive technology and who feel a bit like we were sold off as a commodity and abandoned by a biological parent in order to make another family happy? In answer to Elizabeth's first question, does God desire some couples to remain childless to the point that using the sperm or eggs of a third person is resistance to his will? My answer would be yes. In other words, I don't think childlessness leads to the kinds of harmful effects that have come from the massive move towards various kinds of surrogacy and reproductive artificiality outside the womb that have resulted, for example, in three-quarters of a million frozen babies whose natural parents do not want them, not to mention other harmful effects. Childlessness is painful, but it is not sinful and it is not destructive of human life. And there is great grace that God has for the childless. I don't claim by any means to have the last word on the ever-changing world of reproductive technologies, but I would refer Elizabeth and the rest of our listeners to the wisdom of Jennifer Lal, L-A-H-L, And the work of the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network, the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network, which she leads, she has drawn clear attention in various videos to the unforeseen damaging effects, especially in regard to surrogacy. And I'm very sympathetic with her view that The wisest and most compassionate course of action in all these matters is to stay close to the natural processes of reproduction, which God designed, which basically means keeping eggs and sperm in our bodies. 
That's the way she put it to me when I asked her this question once. With regard to Elizabeth's second question, I think the Bible has even more clear guidance and gracious encouragement. She, she asked, do you have any scripture or any grace, any scripture grace to give to those of us who are the product of reproductive technology and who feel a bit like we were sold off as a commodity and abandoned by a biological parent in order to make another family happy. And the first thing I would say to Elizabeth is that her situation is not peculiar or limited to those who are born through some kind of reproductive technology. There are those who were born because of rape and those who were born because of casual sex in a brothel and those who were born because of an accident when their parents didn't mean to get pregnant, didn't want to get pregnant. And those who were given up for adoption through all kinds of motivations, some good, some bad. And those who have absolutely no idea where they come from or who their parents were. Now, all of these people must deal with the feeling of being at best accidental and at worst unwanted, tainted because of their origin. Now, my approach to encouraging people with these kinds of roots is not mainly to romanticize those roots and say that the biological parents were noble, probably, and compassionate and caring. I simply don't know this in most cases. And I have far better news, better, 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 better news than that for Elizabeth, for my own adoptive daughter and others whose origins are unknown or unsavory. Paradoxically, I think making the picture darker before we make it brighter will result in the greatest possible brightness for Elizabeth's identity and hope and joy. Here's what I mean. The darkness that makes things darker is to point out that every human being is born contaminated by sin. In sin did our mothers conceive us, David said in Psalm 51. And Paul says that by one man, namely Adam's disobedience, the many, the rest of us, all of us, were made sinners. By nature, he says, we are all children of wrath, according to Ephesians 2. Now, that condition is far, far, far worse than any condition created by reproductive technologies. This condition, if it is not remedies, is going to result in our eternal destruction. No reproductive technology causes that. So things are far worse for all of us than they are for Elizabeth only because of the circumstances surrounding her conception. Now, what makes that darker observation about us turn out for greater brightness is that with complete awareness of this corruption, this worse condition, God Almighty in great mercy and great grace has been pursuing not just our healing from that corruption and not just our escape from destruction. He has been wonder of wonders pursuing our inclusion in his family. 
and he has been pursuing that at the cost of his son's life. This is the spectacular center of the Christian gospel. This is what Christianity is about at its center. Listen to Ephesians 1, 4-7. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. In other words, it cost Jesus his life to get this adoption for us. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. And then here's, here's a second text, Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. In other words, in spite of God's full awareness of the contamination of our souls from their very moment of origin, he is not only eager to remove that contamination, but he is eager to adopt us, make us his children, make us heirs with his eternal Son, Jesus Christ, and do it all through the redemption by the blood of his Son. This, this is the rock-solid, unshakable, always valid, always reliable truth about you, Elizabeth. And compared to the sorrow of thinking that biological parents treated you as a commodity, which is a sorrow, compared to the sorrow of that thought and that reality, the fact that God has desired you as a daughter, bought you at the cost of his son's life, is 10,000 times more precious and more important than that thought. That's what I have prayed over my daughter. That's what she would feel as an adoptive daughter into our family and then God be praised his family, not knowing what was in her biological parents' heart. It is a glorious thing to have a foundation for our identity and our acceptance with God that is as sure and as unshakable as the decrees of God Almighty. Deeply moving and uh, edifying and applicable for all of us, really, Pastor John. Thank you. And Elizabeth, wow. Thank you uh, for opening up your life to us like this. Uh, it's it's humble on your part. It's brave on your part. And uh, it's really greatly appreciated as your story is going to encourage many other people through this podcast. So thank you for sending us the email to begin with. And uh, thank you to everyone who listens in. You can stay current with the Ask Pastor John podcast on your phone or device by subscribing through your preferred podcast catcher. And you can search our past episodes in our archive and send us an email of your own. You can do those things through our online home at desiringgod.org forward slash John. Well, while we are justified by faith alone, this is a glorious truth. 
we are not ultimately saved by faith alone. That statement in a DG article that you wrote, Pastor John, has stirred up quite a lot of debate and controversy online, and I think that it's the right time to circle back on it and to hear you explain it more fully. How are we justified by faith alone, but not saved by faith alone? It's a very important topic, very important conversation, and we need to have it next time when we return. That's on Friday. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.